Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow. Welcome to Tech Interviews. This week, it's about all of the clouds as we talk about multi-cloud management. So kick back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tech Interviews. Uh, so on this week's show, um, this is uh, this has come about based on a paper that, uh, that a friend of mine sent me, um, talking about building kind of modern data centers and looking at um, working with multiple clouds and, and how you start to integrate those in into your business. So um, so it was a really interesting paper. So I thought what would make a good show was to uh, to get that friend uh, on the show to uh, to talk it through with us. So, um, so to help us to do that uh, is this week's guest, Lauren Malhoy. Hi, Lauren. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm real good, thank you. So, um, so a little bit of uh, behind the scenes podcasting for people. We're we're using a new platform to uh, to record this show. So, um, so if I sound unsure about what's going on at any time, at least you will know. If I, well, if I sound more unsure than I normally. Do, <laughs> I um, so, um, okay, well, before we kick off and talk a little bit about this paper that you shared with me, um, for those who've maybe not heard you before on, on other podcasts or, or seen any of the stuff you do in social media, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people a little about what you do? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Lauren Melhoy, as you said, um, I work for Juniper Networks now. I've been there for about a month. Uh, this is actually my fifth week, I think, today. Um, and I- I'm actually a product marketing manager there, but we're doing an interesting thing where we hire very technical people in marketing roles so that we're not just spewing marketing uh buzzwords at everyone. Hopefully we're, we're backing it up a little bit. So that's that's part of my role, my new role there. So it's it's really exciting time. Yeah. So still currently going through all of those bits that you do in the first five weeks, finding out where your desk is, finding who you know colleagues are, understanding how you send an email, that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, And luckily my desk was easy to find since I work at home, but uh, <laughs> but everything else has certainly changed. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, th- well, this paper that you shared with us, it's kind of called the five-step multi-cloud migration framework, uh, which admittedly is a bit of a mouthful. So, so maybe that's something you can sort out with marketing. Speaking of, um, <laughs> speaking of buzzwords, yes. <laughs> but, um, and, and we'll share a link to it in the show notes. Um, I think if we can, uh, we, we kind of think it's a, it's a public document, isn't it? So, um, so we'll, we'll pop a link in the show notes for that. But um, maybe just as an introduction to it, do you, do you want to kind of give us a background to where that paper came from and, uh, and why it's some thing that, uh, that that felt was worth publishing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it is interesting, the, the title, right? It makes you think that, oh, everyone's just on the brink of going to multi-cloud, which of course, let's define that first maybe. Um, and I actually did this exercise the other day where I where I just Googled multi-cloud to see what came up. And the, the varying answers were just crazy. You know, some some people described it as one data center, but you have like multiple clouds or, or pods or something running inside of it. I don't think that's what most vendors mean anymore or what the industry means anymore. I think it's more around that uh, that basis of, okay, you have an on-prem data center, maybe you have a colo, maybe you, you're working with public cloud a little bit, um, you know, things like that. So we're, we're actually talking about multiple locations, multiple platforms. Um, so that's kind of what we mean by multi-cloud. But, but the basis for this, this five-step framework is not that we expect customers to all be running, you know, Kubernetes and, and have this, this self-driving, self-healing, multi-cloud situation, right? I don't know of many people that are running that, you know, we can even talk about the really large, you know, Netflix and, and uh, people like that and, and maybe they're closest, but I think probably 95% of of IT folks are not running that currently. So the framework kind of helps people just uh, 
figure out where they are currently, right? Whether that's, you know, a three-tier architecture and they're using mostly CLI, maybe some scripting, um, the things that everyone's been doing for decades, right? Um, And then moving that forward incrementally, you know, maybe introducing some layer three fabrics or moving to a two-tier architecture, that that spine leaf topology that that everyone's been talking about for the last few years. Um, And then eventually getting into some more automation and and things like that. So I think we're we're just trying, we're not trying to fool anyone anymore, I guess. I think that's been an industry problem, selling products rather than actually helping people move forward. Yeah, and we'll come back to that because I know that's something we, we spoke about just before we started recording, this idea of not selling technology for technology's sake, but looking at kind of an overall uh, an overall for any kind of project. And, and I think that's important, you know, and, and I think as IT professionals, people working in the technology industry, it, it's something that if, if people haven't grasped that yet, you know, it's it's something they, they need to be grasping. And there's, I mean, there's a couple of things that you said in there that, that was really interesting. Um, and I think one is actually that idea of knowing where you are to start with. I think often we'll we'll go into IT projects where an organisation doesn't really know its starting point, um, and that makes it difficult to get yourself to the the correct end point, doesn't it? I think you, you know if you if you're not quite sure where you're starting, how on earth you expect to get to uh, where you hope to? Uh, I always find a bit of a mystery. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and if you think about, you know, we've been breaking down these silos for 10 years now or maybe more, but um, are we really? Because, you know, the the server virtualization guys might be in a step three, if you will, or, you know, having more of an automated experience, whereas maybe the network or security are not doing that yet. So, so it also depends on which part of the IT organization you're talking about, who you're talking to, and how we, we make everyone kind of come together, I guess. Well, one of the things you said as well was that that um, organizations, even the big guys, aren't necessarily living in this kind of uh, multi-cloud world, or maybe not the multi-cloud world as as people perceive it. Right. So, so if they're not living in that multi-cloud world right now, why is, what's the reason that maybe they should be considering that? You know, what, what, what does that kind of world bring that, you know, maybe working with a single cloud vendor maybe doesn't? Uh, so I think part of it is... Really, we talk about things like the company being business-led. Where is it not only, you know, where can we afford to run our applications, but where is the best place to run our applications? What's the best way to scale out? Do we need to consider scaling? You know, it's always uh, an it-depends answer. And I'm not even saying that everyone should be in a multi-cloud world, right? I mean, maybe we should be driving towards that. But there are certainly some companies that just want to be on-prem and maybe have a co-location. Um, but, but the real, I think, crux of it is no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're calling your multi-cloud data center, again, rather, whether that's using public cloud or using multiple on-prem locations um, or all of it put together, plus like a wiring closet here and there, right? Um it's, it's how we're managing that. Are we managing all of those things separately? So people could be multi-cloud um, using all of these different things. But if you're managing everything separately, like it's, o- its own little snowflake, even within your company, then to me, that's not really efficient either. We want to be managing everything in, in the same way so that it's not, I'm not even talking about time-saving automation and all of that. I'm talking about consistency and reliability and having the skill sets to do it all. Yeah, and I think that that piece that you, you kind of alluded to there around management of what, what ultimately is quite a complex problem, you know, managing IT infrastructure in multiple locations. And maybe one of the things that stops organizations doing that is 
the complexity of it, you know, whether you're using something on-prem, whether you're using something in maybe an AWS, something in an Azure, uh, something in an IBM cloud, perhaps, that all of those public cloud infrastructures and maybe kind of your, your local geo local cloud provider as well all have very different underlying architectures which then makes it very difficult to manage in a in, in kind of a single way so uh, you know and, and i think as we were talking before we recorded as well that it, it's interesting that if you look at what some of the the big technology vendors out there you know alongside what, what the, the paper that juniper have produced a lot of those big technology vendors now are looking at this problem you know we were talking about um something i went to with vmware yesterday where where they talked about something very similar. We've had um, recent tech conferences where where they spoke about this challenge of managing all of these kind of uh, multiple clouds, managing multiple repositories where their data and applications live. Um, I mean, I mean for if, if people want to get into that kind of space and, and want to, like you said, you know, utilize the best best location, the best platform at any given time for their application, for their data or whatever it is they're trying to achieve. I mean, is that is, is the biggest challenge you see at the moment, the complexity of doing that? You know, is that, is that the thing that's stopping people developing this kind of multi-cloud approach? To me, it is. I mean, and, and again, we look at different things, you know, if, if we're talking about virtualization, if we're talking about the application itself, um, that's that's difficult, right? Because we have to make applications differently. Um, if we're running legacy applications, we have to figure out how to do that. But, but there's a lot of information out there on things like that. What there isn't a lot of information out there is the underlying architecture, like you say, you know, the networking, the the policy that goes around it, and how do we how do we make that management easier? Going from on prem, you're in control of everything you have, you know, down to which switches you're using, which um, firewalls, which, how, which security policies, etc. How do we extend that into the public cloud, and and not only into the public cloud, but into another data center, into wherever? So the the networking is really complex there and and you know a lot of folks are still using the CLI to to do more of an imperative you know I'm logging into each box separately and configuring it and again consistency is a problem there and what happens you know the hit by the bus scenario or even just the time taken to configure all of those things um, that that becomes problematic so so it's really the the underlying networking that that needs to I don't want to say catch up because that almost sounds condescending it's it's not the customer's fault right it's we the, the vendors need to make it easier to move into those things and again you, you don't have to go to this gigantic i have applications everywhere scenario we think that it's probably smarter uh, to move in a more incremental way. Or if you have the budget, great. How do we get there? You know, what what can we do to to enable that? But but to me, moving incrementally just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I think that one of the words you used in there that, um, that I think is really important in, in this kind of space, you know, whether that's through networking or security, is that idea of consistency. But I think one of the challenges we often see is that organizations wanting to have their data in all of these multiple locations. But what they really want is the consistency of their security, their government governance, uh, you know, their antivirus policies. You know, they, they want to apply that same policy and procedure across that across that data set regardless of location you know and and it, it is things like you know if we if we look at it in a, in a world where we are increasingly concerned rightly so about the security and the compliance and, and the governance of our technology systems then the ability to have a 
kind of a simple, single and simple deployment methodology that works everywhere, where it makes a lot of sense. I was talking to a colleague this morning about that idea of automation, you know, and, and the value of automating things is it removes that human element. You know, we don't want to be deploying in one data center in my version of how we should deploy that. And then in the next data center, use your version of deploying that. So, you know, no doubt your version will be better, but we don't want that inconsistency as an organization that says, well, you get the, you know, you get the Paul version if it's a Tuesday and he did it. And then you get the Lauren <laughs> version on a Thursday because she did it. You know, it's well, that, that as an organization, uh, you know, and as a modern data driven organization, I mean, I don't think that's how we can operate. I mean, is that kind of how you see that as well? Well, yeah. And even if you get Paul on a Tuesday and then Paul on a Thursday, is, is that going to be different, yeah, right? Um, so there's a lot of ways where things can become inconsistent or because maybe you read yeah, a blog that said, oh, actually try it this way. But now you have to manually um, deploy everything, provision everything or change everything, upgrade things. Um, there are so many times, I know people often have the argument, um, for automation in the network, well, how, how much are we actually changing our networks? You know, a lot of people are just deploying a network and then leaving it there for five years, and they're not doing a lot of changes, you know, maybe adding some VLANs here and there. But it, it does get more complicated as we, A, move to multi-cloud, or B, you know, we talk about data center, and that's been my kind of forte for the last, well, I don't know, 15 years, right? But when we think about things like campus, um, you know, students moving from the dorm to the classroom, faculty moving from their offices to, to a presentation, uh, a conference room or something like that. There's there's a lot of things going on and they could be crossing buildings. You know, they're not on the same switch anymore, m- much less the same rack. Or So how do we actually address those needs um, to get rid of... Uh, problems that we've had in, in layer two forever, you know, spanning tree has always been a problem. And I don't think there's anyone that's just like, no, I love spanning tree. I think it's the coolest thing. I think it's a necessary thing for, for the way we've been running networks, but, um, but in the future or, or in the present, I should say, I mean, this layer three fabrics have been around for, for a long time now. That's definitely a way we need to keep moving. And, and for one reason, just to have, just to use our switches efficiently, right? So, so you know, in, in our framework, we talk about moving from from just that device led CLI. We're using SNMP for logging; it's not real time, right? Moving into that that kind of next step where we're we're moving to like a spine leaf topology. Let's have that spine leaf topology everywhere in in the campus, in the data center, just everywhere obviously not the public cloud you know we don't really have control over that but but let's have that where we're offering a more cloud-like situation where we're offering network capacity and we're offering full network capacity so we're not blocking ports we're we're not having to have inconsistent paths uh depending on traffic right if i'm running a backup that's going to change the way my application is is moving through my network. If I'm using, you know, a typical or a traditional three tier topology, blocking topology, and all of that. So I think that's that's almost step number one is just changing to a different architecture. That that by the way is not like a Juniper. I mean, it is a Juniper suggested thing, but but it's every vendor. You know, it's an industry wide thing. Yeah, and and I mean, one of the things there that you said as well was about the idea of. Um, uh, you know, as, as we kind of build these networks and the ones we've got control over, and then there's the ones that we don't. So if we're going to go to a public mm-hmm. cloud provider, we don't really have control over how that network's built. But do you see this kind of, um, uh, you know, one of the ways that we're going to allow people to have these kind of modern data centers that might include multiple clouds, some, like I said, some public, some kind of private, some on-prem type stuff? 
is to at least having some insight into what those public cloud vendors are doing so that we know that if we move application A to public cloud vendor B, we're going to get a certain level of performance because we've got some understanding of what that. So maybe not lots of control, but some understanding. Is, is that an important part of this? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's very important. Um, and not that we don't have any control. There are certainly, you know, cloud switches, cloud routers, cloud, whatever that, that vendors can insert into the cloud so that you at least have control over some of the policy, um, things like that, and, and ways we can deploy applications so that we know that they're going to be consistent, um, you know, whether it's during a failure or during an upgrade. But but as you say, yeah, the, we also need to can be very vigilant about which availability zones and regions and which clouds we're using for what. You know, not all clouds are built the same. So I think there's a lot of um, onus on the customers there or, or on, on IT organizations there. Um, but I, I also think that vendors should be helping with that as well. You know, whether that's through services or just through um, uh, knowledge enablement, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that vendors can be doing when partnering with public cloud vendors or, or, or generically too, you know, if it is kind of a more local situation or regional, you know, et cetera. So I, I wanted to, um, so there's a couple of other things in the, in the paper you sent me that, that kind of caught my attention. Um, um, and maybe just something that we can we can look a little bit into. So it talks about the, the, this idea of multi-cloud as a, as a driver for change. And it kind of got me thinking about a question that, you know, it's fine listening to this and, um, and I currently live with, I've got, maybe I've got some kind of multi-cloud in that maybe I've got a bit of Office 365 and maybe I've got some things in AWS. So I suppose I'm using two, and I've got some things on-prem, so I'm using two public cloud vendors and some on-prem stuff. Um, why would I want, why is an organization, if I'm a CIO listening to this or a, a business executive, why might I want to consider a strategy that includes multiple clouds, multiple locations? Yeah, so ultimately, you know, what we're moving towards is, is, that idea of of self-driving and self-healing, I don't believe that exists. And we're still even struggling to come up with like the marketing buzzwords that that <laughs> will will work for it. So so you know the technology isn't really there yet either. Um, uh, but but it's important to move to, and again, for some people, it's, it's not necessarily important for everyone to go to that particular example. But I do think it's important for some people because as we grow as applications and not even necessarily the companies growing, but, but more applications, more, um, uh, when I say customer, I mean that the company's customer, the, the, you know, their end users, they expect more, um, uptime, more responsiveness. You know, I think we need to not only go to like, to, to me, sorry, to me, the, the multi-cloud is not the end all to be all for everyone. What's important is no matter what, topology you go to, that we're moving towards real-time telemetry so that we know what's going on, visibility everywhere, Um, visibility on-prem, visibility in the cloud, and there are ways to do that with everything. And and really, it's just about being business-led. What makes sense for the business? What is going to be cost-efficient, but also make sure end-users have that responsiveness that they're looking for, that uptime that they're looking for. Because ultimately, when applications go down is when customers lose money, when companies lose money, right? Yeah, and, and I think that thing about visibility is absolutely crucial. You know, in, a, in a kind of as we build these modern data platforms, these modern infrastructures, one of the big things that we we have to know, and, and I think there's two things, actually. One of the big things that we need to know is we need to visibility of what's going on so that we can make 
a level of decision that is the right decision then for whatever the business goal is. You know, you can make the right decision based on knowing how something's performing, how much it's costing, where it geographically needs to be located. Now, all those kind of things are important parts of that that decision and something you've kind of touched on a couple of times as well is automating that so one of the challenges that we hear an awful lot is that we can go and talk to a business about a new technology maybe gives them some in fact maybe does give them insight and visibility into their their infrastructure but one of the things that always gets fed back is my it team's already really stretched all that visibility is fantastic but who on earth is going to take a look at it and do anything about it? You know, and I think some of those things you've talked about there are that kind of decision making and automation being being there maybe to work alongside the human being. You know, we're not talking about replacing those IT pros, but you know, no. is, is that something that you see as as again as important in this this kind of framework that we're talking about? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I want to kind of pick apart there. So. Uh, whether, again, whether we're doing on-prem or we're talking about public cloud or all of it, we want to make sure that we can do things in a multi-vendor fashion, right? It needs to be open in that sense, for one, but it also needs to be open APIs so that we can use um, standard protocols, standard tools, standard automation tools like like Ansible or Chef or whatever you prefer, even Python, scripting, you know, we want to make sure that that's possible everywhere. Again, public cloud, on-prem. So having that open multi-vendor, open um, protocols, open APIs, I think that's very important as companies just move forward. I don't think it's going to be a single vendor world anymore. Um, the visibility, of course, will then, you know, any telemetry that you're using will need to cover all of those things as well. So again, we're, it's becoming complex, even though we're trying to, when I hear open, I hear complex. As a customer, that's what I always thought, right? <laughs> who, who am I going to call to support this? So <clears throat> it's the onus is also on the vendors too. We need to be able to support all of that. We need to uh, have the visibility into all of it. And, and as long as we are using standard protocols and uh, standard topologies, that, that's entirely possible. But that that change needs to kind of happen right now um, rather than in the future where we're trying to retroactively, you know, make things compatible. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that kind of um, that openness, you know, that, that ability, I think multi-vendor, you're absolutely right. You know, and whether that's multiple cloud vendors or multiple on-prem vendors, you know, I think we're starting to see already, aren't we, a world where people are starting to take SaaS services, you know, they want software as a service services. I don't, I don't know, but they take, take mm-hmm. it. SaaS applications was the word I was looking for. Um, you know, but they, they taking those as a way of delivering very much uh, you know, point solutions into a business. I want a CRM, so I'll, maybe I'll go and use Salesforce. I want an accounts package, maybe I'll use Sage Online. I want Office 365. So so I'm taking parts of that and, and having that already taken away from my infrastructure. And then maybe I'm doing DR with a cloud provider, and then I'm doing backup mm-hmm. to another cloud provider, and I'm taking analytics services from another. So so you, you, we're already seeing that kind of thing happening in uh, kind of little pieces of organizations. But I think that, you know, that point there about an openness across all of that so that we can have more straightforward visibility into that. And I think that's a big challenge for the industry, you know, and I think it's interesting kind of uh, what, what Juniper are doing in that space. And as I said, you know, some of the other vendors that I've, I've listened to over the last, even over the last month, you can see that's a, that's a real pressing challenge for them. Um, but so, uh, you know, before, but maybe, maybe just to kind of move on just a little bit. I mean, one of the things that, um, also caught my attention in, in this was so if I'm listening to this and I am somebody who is um, a, a, an IT decision maker or somebody who's planning my IT strategy going forward what are some of the reasons I might want to consider this kind of multi-cloud environment you know what what, what are some of the business benefits that I might get from it or, or technology benefits indeed 
So for for business reasons, we want to move to maybe a multi-cloud environment, again, if it makes sense for us. So if we do have some major scaling needs, um, you know, we're we're starting to use things like Kubernetes, we can certainly do that on-prem, but we need to make sure our on-prem uh, data centers are capable of handling scaling like that. So using, you know, abstracting those layers, using things like layer three fabrics or using software defined networking in order to dynamically scale our applications and, and use things uh, like like automating, you know, the creation of VMs. Um, but we also need to make sure that we're able to handle bare metal on those same networks, right? Because no one's gotten rid of all their bare metal. I, I shouldn't say no one, but, but next to no one, right? Um, and then we we may want to consider public cloud as well if if it's cost efficient. But but the thing is, there's there's definitely a cost that comes with public cloud. So I'm not saying we shouldn't use it. Um, just saying that that's something we need to be vigilant about. So uh, you know, a, a lot of it will come down to cost for for customers. And so public cloud may or may not make sense for them. But but business wise, technology wise, uh, sorry, technology wise, they should consider it because they may need to scale applications or things like that. However, maybe they they don't need to consider that so much. So maybe they use cloud-based things like you were talking about, like Office 365 or, um, you know, CRM, Salesforce, what what have you. And we can certainly get into public cloud um, discussions there, uh, more of a SaaS situation. Uh, but But it's really, again, I think it just comes down to what end users, what their end users are seeing and how they're enabling their end users to make their business move forward. Um, and, and we talk about no, no longer logging into the CLI switch by switch or device by device. We want to save time uh, for, for the network admins, for the network operations people, and kind of move them towards that um, th- that era of, I don't want to say just automation, because it's, it's a lot of things. Um, they're still going to be absolutely necessary, but we're going to move towards more of that consistency. You know, we talk about um, reliability engineers now. Google has a big thing on SREs. A lot of people are starting to talk about NREs, network reliability engineers. And it's, it's to me, it's always been about the application, no matter where I'm working, no matter if I'm a customer, a partner, or a vendor, the the application is number one in a data center. So as long as that application is up and running, then the business is doing well. And that's, I think, what truly matters. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think that, that I think that's one of the things that we see now, that we have a, um, a requirement, a need to ensure that our applications and our data are always available to us yeah i think that that availability is is absolutely crucial to a to a modern enterprise um and, and some of that availability is not helped when our environments are are overly complex or we don't have the the kind of correct insight you know and and, and i suppose in a world where it's so easy for your customers, our customers, to be able to go and purchase from somewhere else, any kind of downtime, any kind of complexity that impacts performance can have can have major effect, I think, on a business. And and I mean, one of the things that's really struck me is quite interesting about this has been something I, I actually heard over the last couple of days, um, and was a really good phrase that I've never heard before, but but I thought summed up kind of the environments that lots of us are moving into was this idea of cloud becoming the new silo. So the idea that actually we've talked about all of these kind of multi-cloud environments, um, 
but actually no way of those environments interacting and, and dealing with each other. And and it, and is that, I suppose if we were trying to put something on it, is that, is that kind of the crux of what we're trying to, to do here is to try and break those walls down so that we can have that kind of, we're, we're, we're possible to have that free movement of data and applications as and when we need it. To be sure, it's it's there's there's silo breaking that that should be done. We should be working together as you know parts of the IT organization. So uh, you know one thing we do talk about people in our, our five step framework, and and one thing I always think about is um, you know if I'm going to talk to the network folks and say let's let's pick out you know a devops right <laughs> you know I, i'm being facetious there but but let's pick out um you know how we want to move forward and yes it's about culture and we i'm not going to get into that whole conversation but even when we we're just talking about tools are we going to use ansible are we going to use chef whatever hey let's check with your other uh parts of the organization if the virtual guys are using um ansible right then then maybe we should consider using ansible in the network as well so that we're not um you know skinning cats in, in different ways. Let, let's at least try to use some of the same tools. Um, let's also talk about the progression of careers. And and I know the, the people thing can be uh, sticky, right? If it's if we're talking to network ops people about becoming coders and things like that, it gets a little scary and, and understandably so. But when I think about it, I'm thinking about, you know, we didn't always have OSPF and um, BGP and all of this stuff, right? Oftentimes, people were moving from static routing to dynamic routing, right? This is another part of that evolution to me, is that we're now moving from just knowing your routing protocols um, and, and ACLs and things like that to to the next part. And, and people should look at it as more of career growth rather than being put out of a career. So so it's it's twofold. It's breaking down silos, but it's also kind of just taking on incrementally um, things that can help you. And there, there are really easy ways to automate. Like you don't have to be a coder. You can use tools for, for 80% of your automation needs, right? So th- that's that's a big part of it. Well, I, I think, you know, Lawrence, as we come to the end of our, our recording time here, that um, I, 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 do, I mean, I do think it's a fascinating area. I said, you know, this is, yeah, I think so, you know, we, and we'll, we'll include the, uh, the, 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 the paper that we've talked about in, in the show notes for this. But I think that kind of move to how we deal with what, what is clearly going to be a problem for, for businesses going forward is that we're going to want to use all of these kind of repositories of compute and storage and services and tools. Um, but how we do that in a way where we can build a strategy that includes security, includes availability, simplifies the process, makes it so that people can find it something that's accessible rather than, um, you know, something that's scary and is going to put them out of a job. I think so. I think it's a huge challenge, you know, and and I think for- keep it open and simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think for, for organizations, um, you know, for, for the technology vendors out there, I think the ones who, who, do crack that and make that something straightforward for us, you know, I think are, are going to be kind of big winners in the future, you know, and, and probably it's, it's, it's why there's so much focus, I think, from, from vendors right now in, in how do we deal with that conundrum. So, um, but like, if, if people listening to this um, have found this as fascinating a conversation as I had, I mean, where's a good place, um, apart from the paper, like I say, we'll include in the show notes, but I mean, what, what's a, another good set of resources, maybe from Juniper that people can go and look at and, and find out more about maybe how they start to build out this kind 
kind of strategy? Yeah, sure. We uh, we have some huge announcements coming up. So so keep an eye on juniper.net, some huge front page announcements. So keep an eye out there. But also, we're doing a lot on GitHub, um, you know, like a lot of companies are now. And, and I won't comment on the, the Microsoft <laughs> acquisition. But <laughs> That's good. I'm just saying MS, is that MS GitHub? Yes, uh, but, uh, um, you know, I, I personally was just working on you know, creating, someone had already created a whole Ansible project where you can download our, our virtual QFXs to create a, an EVPN VXLAN on, on your local machine, right? I mean, just for evaluation or for practice or simulation, what have you. And then I went in and actually made it work on Windows somehow because Ansible and, uh, and Vagrant aren't necessarily that kind to to Windows users like myself. So, so you know, check out all the Juniper GitHub stuff. There's, there's just a lot of cool stuff. We're doing a lot of great stuff with automation. And people can always, uh, you know, tweet me at Malhoy and and I'm always happy to chat with folks directly as well. And there you see you're doing the the whole podcasting pro bit by including your Twitter handle at the end. Because uh, So I was just about right. to ask you, actually, if, if people want to know more about kind of the work you do and, and how to start you on the internet, um, uh, how can they do that? Yep, at Melhoy or uh, adaptingit.com. I've been blogging again, so that's been in technical blogging. So for those of you uh, tech people, that'll be fun to read. Um, you can read all about my, my new Ansible undertakings there. Um, and then, of course, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention Tech Village with uh, my buddies Yadine Porter de Leon and, and Matt Oswalt. Uh, we have a, a podcast that, that we've been doing for a while now. Yeah, and, that, and I would say it's, it is one of the favorite shows that I listen to. And, um, you know, if, you've, if you're interested in IT careers and, and the, the way the IT industry is developing, uh, I, I definitely make sure you check that show out. And again, I'll make sure there's a, a link to the show notes in there. So, well, look, look I, I think that's a, that's a great discussion. Um, and I, I do think it's a, it's a truly fascinating area. Um, so, look, thanks for sharing your, your experience and time with us and uh, look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Thank you, Paul. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Next time, we talk about Microsoft and the digital business. So to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening. 